luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% pain, and 100% easy to remember the name. Winston 101. This interview is brought to you by 1621 Football Academy with Nick Lewis. I train with Nick every week, and he's the best you could get. His program is all about providing each athlete with the tools to be successful with whatever their dreams are. He gives athletes the ability to grow both mentally and physically and trains you to increase your speed, strength, and ability. Nick has set up a program where anyone can succeed by letting everyone go at their own pace and opening his hours up to when you're available. But best of all, High school kids can take part in a 7-on-7 team, which travels North America, competing in tournaments to get better, also to increase your exposure. If you're interested, go check out their website at 1621club.com. This interview is also brought to you by the Salvation Army. My grandma's been donating our used clothes to the Salvation Army for as long as I can remember, because unlike any other clothing stores, the Salvation Army is 100% charity-based and puts 100% effort into helping the unfortunate. Last year, 1.7 million people were helped by Salvation Army's resources. Donate today to make a difference. Donate today to help those in need. My goal is to figure out the tips and tricks of professional football players and also give you a glimpse into their personal and professional lives. In this episode... I talked to Chris Jones. Chris is a defense specialist for the Cleveland Browns of the NFL. Chris started his football career as a coach in Alabama high school, winning a state championship, and later going on to coach the defensive line at Tennessee Tech in the NCAA, and then later moving on to the CFL's Montreal Alouettes as their defensive line coach. He then jumped around the CFL as a defensive coordinator until 2013 when he was signed as the Edmonton Eskimos head coach, winning the Grey Cup two years later. He then departed to the Saskatchewan Roughriders, bringing his entire coaching staff to the Prairies to try and win his fifth Grey Cup ring with all different teams and help rebuild a struggling Roughriders group. Let's just say he wasn't the most liked man in Saskatchewan. After releasing the likes of Weston Dressler, John Chick, and Darian Durant. The rebuild is almost complete, though, after the Riders lost in the Western semifinals. Chris and I got into a lot of conversations that you have not heard before. We talk about his intensity on the field and his coaching philosophy, but also about how his goals are strictly about winning and never about money, because during his childhood, he was living in low-income housing. Him and his sister used to have to go to their neighbor's house for food because they couldn't afford it. After my interview with Chris, it completely changed my impression of him, and I hope it does the same for you. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Hey Chris, I'm glad we got a chance to sit down and chat. You and my dad are similar. 
Your birthday is a day before his, and you were both raised by a single mom in low-income housing. When I talked to my dad about when he was growing up, he told me about how adversity helped shape who he is. How has adversity shaped you? Well, I think that the young kids, you look at it like, at all these hurdles, look at, but what it actually does, it, it teaches you that nothing that you're going to face that's going to be probably more difficult than what you're seeing at a very young age. And so it creates kind of an insulation against the fear of something so big that uh, that you can't handle it, you know? Can you tell me about what you had to face at a young age? Well, we, you know, I mean, lived in government-subsidized housing. My mama made $6,000 a year, and she did her very best to take care, you know, of us and work three jobs. My little sister was six years younger than I was, so I basically raised my little sister from the time I was eight. She was two, and so I stayed home and took care of her. That's kind of how I grew up, you know. I mean, there was a lot of times when you come home and there ain't food in the refrigerator. You have to go up to your neighbor's house or whatever, and they fix dinner. And I mean, you're kind of a uh, product of your community. I'm sure that teaching your sister has really helped you to become a better parent. How has adversity impacted the goals that you set for yourself? Well, I mean, you know what? I don't, I don't ever set goals that are involving money or possessions or anything like that. I just want to, you know, I'd rather be known for working hard and having a vision and doing things the way that I see fit, follow anybody's pattern. You know, those are kind of my goals in life is to you know, be successful, certainly to win. That's ultimately what, you know, you're involved with football. I like to take a lot of guys that are from similar backgrounds and give them an opportunity to either be successful here or even bounce back to the NFL and, and have careers there. How often do you review your goals? Uh, we set we set goals yearly. My goals are simple. My goals are win the Grey Cup championship. Anything beyond anything less than the Grey Cup championship is a disappointment. Uh, you know, a lot of people will say, "Great job this year." I thought it was a good year. You know, I don't. Were there some good things? Did I, do I have some memories and some things I can take away from it? Yes, but it was not a good year in my opinion. And so uh, that's basically you know, how I judge myself. Keep small goals and you have just a few things that really matter. I'm speaking strictly from a business standpoint from my work. I've got two little girls that I want to continue to be very successful academically. And my son's a doctor in New York City, so I certainly want him to continue to have success. But when you talk about just as a football coach, that's, those are my goals. What does your family think about football? They love it. You know, down south, this is what we do. You are remembered as a human being, as a man, based off how well you do in football. That's where I came from. That's your background, the environment. So that's how they judge you. What are some of your family's other interests? Oh, gosh. My mother has six sisters, and all but like one were, were teachers. So I grew up around a bunch of, bunch of educators. They love kids. They love talking about kids. They love talking about school. Probably that's the next biggest interest in our family is the fact that so many of them are, are educators. With your family, what makes you the most proud? Well, I mean, my kids have been very successful. They're very well adjusted. They're involved in either clubs, sports, or organizations outside of school. You know, and I think that's probably the biggest thing is the fact that they work hard. And when I talk to their teachers, they talk about how respectful they are and how well adjusted they are and, and that type of thing. I see a lot of pictures of you on the sidelines being intense. <laughs> Who in your family are you most like? <laughs> 
I don't know. You'll have to ask them. I mean, they say that my youngest daughter is very much like me. You know, she's a little uh, hot-headed and very opinionated and knows exactly what she wants. But I see a little of me in both of them. And my son is very determined, and he was extremely driven from an early age to be a doctor. And then Jackson, my oldest daughter, she's extremely intelligent. She's very calculating and, and makes the correct moves because she puts a lot of pre-thought into exactly what she's going to do. So I can see a little bit of my stuff in all of them. How do you think your son wanted to become a doctor because you're not a doctor? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have any clue. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he was motivated initially by the status of a doctor, you know, because everybody wants to be a doctor or a lawyer. I mean, that kind of want to be a doctor or a lawyer. So I don't know if it, initially it was maybe the, the uh, status of being a doctor or a lawyer, but now he loves his job. My recommendation to all my kids has been to whatever you do, make sure that you don't ever go to work. Make sure that you play every day and get paid for it. And, you know, that's kind of what I do. I get I work hard, but I don't ever really go to work. I enjoy what I do. So when did you set a goal to become a professional coach? I started my goal to be a professional coach when I was about 21 years old. I was in engineering, and then I changed over to finance, and then I was about ready to flunk out of school. And like I said, I was 21, didn't have a lot of direction. And my mother said, well, you know, what do you love? And I said, I love football. And she said, well, just go be a coach. And so at that point, I changed my major to coaching, to education. I went into teaching and coaching, and it allowed me an avenue. And once I became a coach. I knew that I wanted to try to coach on the highest level pop. When did you realize that it would be a reality? Strangest story. When I was at Tennessee Tech, there wasn't an opportunity in the NFL because there's not a minority of the program for coaches to go from college to the pros in the NFL is more of a minority program. And so there wasn't an internship for me. And so I called Paul Jones, who was at Edmonton, and he got me an opportunity to be what was called a guest coach with Don Matthews. And then when I was up there, there were two players that told Coach Matthews they ought to try to hang on to me and hire me. Don't let me go home. That was Doug Peterson and Rob Brown. And of course, there wasn't money to do that in the CFL. So I went back to the Tech. But upon my visit there, there was a great big defensive lineman from Grambling that had all kind of talent, but just needed some coaching, quite honestly. And I was afraid to raise my hand in the meeting, but I told Coach, I said, please don't send this kid home. Keep him around because he's going to be a, a really good player. Big six seven guy. Wish I could remember his name. So anyway, I uh, go to down to Mobile to the Senior Bowl, and Mobile is a good distance from Cookville, Tennessee, and money was an issue in recruiting. So I had to be very smart with my money. I'm only in Mobile one day a year, and I usually schedule it somewhere around the Senior Bowl. I'll shorten the story. I was doing a home visit with a kid. Paul Jones calls me, says, hey, Coach Matthews is ready to offer the job tomorrow. Where you at? So I'm in Mobile. He said, Coach Matthews is in Mobile. So there's no way. He said, yep. So I go back in to tell the kid that, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to the CFL, but Tennessee Tech's a good school. Y'all still consider it, blah, blah, blah. And he said, my cousin plays in the CFL. And his cousin ended up being the kid that I kept from getting cut in Edmonton. <laughs> so it was kind of a really strange story. What makes you a good coach? Well, I don't know. You have to ask my players that. I know that I'm very honest with my players. I know that, that my players, you know, they matter to me. I say what I mean. I mean what I say when I work with them. But at the same time, I'm extremely fair with them. We don't make practice a, a drudgery. We make practice fun. I'm 50 years old, but I don't think my mental age is probably not 50. I try to keep myself young and try to hire young coaches and that type of thing. That's some of the tactics I use, but you'd have to ask my players. If you were teaching your younger self to be a coach, what would you focus on? What would you do differently? 
I think for a few years, I was interested in trying to, you know, get where I was going. And I failed to enjoy where I was at. And I think that's a big mistake people make. They're worried about getting to the end point rather than enjoying the time where they're at. I think that would give myself that bit of advice. You know, enjoy the journey. Over the years, I've had some good and some not-so-good coaches. What coaches inspired you? Don Matthews, certainly. I had Philip Lolly when I was coaching high school ball. Mike DeBose at the University of Alabama. Max Smith when I was at Tennessee Tech. And then you go all the way back when I was at high school football. Don Gratt was very influential in my early career as a player. You know, so they all gave me something that I took away. And I think at a very early age, I also tried to take away what they did not do well and try to not do that. Not only take away the positives, but also stay away from what they they didn't do well. So what things did they teach you that you've learned not to do again? I would rather keep those things to myself, you know, because those are some guys that some of them aren't even living anymore. I'll let you know the positives, but... The negatives, I'd rather just keep to myself so that I'm not implicating on them for things that they did that I didn't necessarily agree with. When you started as a high school coach, I heard that you sat outside of Coach Raglan's office for the whole day until you could talk to him. (laughs) What did you say that convinced him that you deserved a chance to coach at a higher level? Well, I was at North Jackson High School, and I sat down. Once I decided I wanted to go coach at a higher level, I went to all the local schools and basically did the same thing. But Coach Ragland, I don't know why, he just tried to wake me out. And Miss Peggy, the secretary, great lady, she sat there. We had lunch together, and I waited, and it was 4.30 in the afternoon. He finally came out of that office. And I just told him, I said, I'm not going to take much of your time. And I said, you might can find people that are smarter. I said, but you're not going to find anybody that works any harder and be more loyal. I said, I can tell you that. I said, you can check all the places I've been and ask them the same thing, and they'll tell you. And uh, so basically, that was it. I was at Memphis University the following week. Back when you didn't have cell phones, I checked in at home. They said Coach Raglan called. I called Coach Raglan. He offered me a job off of a uh, payphone in South Memphis. Well, I'm going to remember that because in 12 years, I'm going to be looking for a quarterback job. So I'm going to have to camp outside your office. (laughs) Come on. Greatness often comes from being different than the crowd. Are there anything that you do or think that are different from other coaches? Is there anything that you do or think that other people don't agree with or goes against current teachings? I don't know. I mean, I try to keep things so simple that it's impossible. People look at what we do and think that it's complicated and think that the way we do things, is there is nothing that we do that I feel like is complicated. In fact, it's the exact opposite. I ask our coaches to try to make it so simple that players can't mess it up. That's kind of our philosophy from personnel to formations to everything uh, that we do. We try to make it simple. So why do you try to make it as simple as possible? Well, just so that you uh, reduce the errors. I mean, pro football, errors can cost you football games, you know. And so that's kind of, you know, my philosophy is to try to reduce reduce the errors as much as possible so that you can play seamless football. And, uh, you know, that's why New England's so good. They do not make errors. You don't see them taking time counts. You don't see them lining up in the wrong formation. You don't see them not having too many people on defense. That's just not what they do. And uh, unforced errors in uh, professional football are usually different in the football game. 
I heard that you attend the Combine to watch potential players that you're interested in. And you said that the Canadian players have improved over the last 10 years but are still not at the level that they need to be. I've used my own money to hire a trainer to make me a strength workout that I do three days a week. I do basketball for cardio in the winter and train outside in the summer. I do footwork drills three days a week. And I've started this podcast to learn what it takes to be a success and develop a professional mindset. And on the recommendation from Angus Reed, I hired a quarterback coach that I train with once a week to improve my mechanics. What else would you suggest I do? Well, I think that's the biggest thing, and just keep a ball in your hand, spend it every day, you know, just uh, whoever you can get to run routes for you, and, you know, you need somebody that is certainly not me, because I don't know all the techniques of, you know, setting your feet, throwing, I mean, I try to copy what I hear from, you know, our quarterback guys, and, and that type of thing, and what I study, but... At the same time, that's not my, I'm more of a defensive type guy. So I would keep that ball in my hand and spin it every day. Because you're a defensive defensive coach, how have you learned to work the offense? Well, I mean, I played offense in high school and college. So my background as a player was on the offensive side of football. And so I think that because my wide array of, of being involved with the different levels, that uh, that it offers me a little bit better insight. And then, like I say, Coach McAdoo is my best friend. We've been we've been uh, room roommates. And, I mean, we've always shared. Scott Milanovic, he and I live together in Montreal, so I've always been very close to the offensive guys that I've worked with. And it allowed me to uh, pick their brain and kind of use that as the tool to get my understanding of the offense to be even greater. How do you make your hiring decisions? You know, you try to find guys that you have worked with before because you know that they uh, are going to have some of the same thought patterns as yourself. They're going to have ideas and, you know, they're going to be loyal because if if they have worked with you before, they wouldn't be friends with you unless they were loyal. That's basically how you make that happen. Earlier in the interview, you talked about how your mom told you to do what you love. I love football. I'm always practicing my three-step drop whenever I can. I'm the kid throwing the quick out while standing in line at the grocery store with my parents. It drives them crazy. How has doing something that you love for most of your life improved you as a person? There's a particular book that I read. I can't even remember the name of the book, but uh, if you do something enough... If you do something 10,000 times, it becomes so innate that, uh, and visualization, I think, is extremely important. Uh, as a young kid, night before the game, I would go through all the plays and walk through them, walk through all my footwork, and then visualize the defenders of where they were going to be. And so I'm a big proponent for, uh, visualization. And then, like I say, I told you to spend the football. It's kind of like shooting free throws. The more you shoot free throws, the better you're going to be. In my first year of tackle football, the coach put his son in at quarterback without any tryouts, so I played linebacker. I was disappointed at the time, but what I realize now is it's taught me to understand defense and has made me a better quarterback. Can you tell me about a time when something didn't work out for you and you were disappointed at the time, but now you're grateful it turned out that way? Well, I was an offensive guard for the first four years of my career. And I was a little bit skinny guy that really, uh, you know, I wasn't big enough to ever be a, a guard. And so as an eighth grader, they put me at tailback. And so I ended up playing tailback through my high school years, running running back, tailback. And uh, 
so that's how I kind of ended up as a offensive skill player. Everyone faces tough decisions, but you face those decisions in the public eye, especially when you're building a team and you have to let players go. How do you have the confidence to make those decisions when the fans and media are hostile? How do you build the confidence in yourself? And what did you tell yourself? Well, when they hired me in Saskatchewan, they didn't hire me to try to win a popularity contest. What they hired me to do is to use my expertise to to try to put the best football team together that you possibly can. And what you got to understand, you're never going to do, never going to be perfect. Sometimes you're going to guess wrong. You've got to trust what you've done for the process that you've had for a long time and just know that, hey, you know, the odds of this are that it's going to work out in our favor. And that's basically what I've always done. What's your coaching philosophy? Coaching philosophy. Be fair to my players, make it fun, win as many games as possible. I have two rituals that I do before a game. I hold memento- I hold mementos in my hand one at a time and visualize the passes that I'm going to make in the game. And on the way to the game, I crank up Bon Jovi's Blood on Blood. It's a song about friends that are like brothers, which is how I feel with my teammates. Do you have a ritual that you do before a game? Well, it was very similar. I mean, you listen to music, hang out with your friends, and, and uh, it really wasn't a, a ritual. You listen to the same playlist. I do it now. You know, I put my headphones on and run before the game. I've got a playlist that I listen to and, you know, basically uh, try to get into the uh, mode of the football game. If you could put a message on a fortune cookie, what would it say? Enjoy the moment. And what does that mean to you? (laughs) Well, it means, you know, life is short and you need to go out every single day and enjoy that day like it could be your last. Now we will get into some rapid fire questions. What's your morning routine? I walk from 5 to 6, come have coffee, and then head to work. What time do you get up? Uh, Well, I'm usually at work by like 3.30 in the morning. I go 3.30 and then uh, check emails, do that type thing. It's not like I'm a robot, so I'm there at 3.30 some mornings. I'm there at 4.15 some mornings. I'm there at 3.50 some mornings, but I usually get there between those hours. I walk from 5 to 6, which gives me 8,000 steps. You know, then I'm going to have a couple cups of coffee, and then I'm, uh, I'm usually doing something football-related after. What does the week before a game look like? Well, we, we watch a ton of videos. We break down every single game for the entire year. You know, we've got a very relaxed uh, attitude around our office. You know, a lot of places that you go, it's real quiet, reserved, and, you know, that's, uh, you know, I want our atmosphere. I want people to enjoy coming to work. I don't be scared of relax and turn their music on if they want to, as long as they don't disrupt other people. That's the biggest thing. Don't disrupt others uh, that you work with. And I, I want a, a very uh, cohesive working environment with my staff. What does the practices look like? We try to be as efficient as we can with our practice. We're only on the field for an hour, an hour and 15, the amount of work. It's actually two hours that we're on the field. It's a 30-minute walkthrough, uh, which is more of a jog through. Got a 15-minute stretch, and then after that, we've got an hour and 15 of, uh, of work that we actually put in. We're working our techniques, working our plays, and then we're off the hoof off field. My philosophy is try to get as many plays as we can in that amount of time so there's not any standing around. We do what you call double barrel. We put A's on A's on one side, B's on B's on another side. So we've got two huddles going. What has been your best purchase that you've made under $150? Uh, 
I have no idea. I don't buy a lot of stuff, so I don't know. There are only a few things that I'll go spend money on. I like old cars. I like motorcycles. Other than that, I, I don't buy a lot of things. The designer of my website collects a lot of motorcycles. He collects Bugattis. What motorcycles do you collect? Well, I don't really collect them. I, I've just got the old motorcycle that I grew up with uh, when I was in high school, college. Honda 754, 1976 model. And I'm about to, to refurbish it. And then I've got a 2006 uh, Suzuki Hayabusa. You know, I wanted to lower it and stretch it and put a, a turbo on it. And so I did all that. It's actually Jockey Reynolds' old motorcycle that I bought off of him a few years ago. When you hear the word success, who do you think about? Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, Bill Parcells. You know, those are the guys that kind of come to mind very quickly. Why do you think they're a success? I think they've got strong beliefs in how they do things, and they're not perfect either, but they've certainly got a very a good map of where they want to try to go and how they want to get there, and, uh, and they hold to it. Do you think you're a success? I don't even worry about that because I know we've won a lot of football games and we've won a lot of championships. You know, success is, is judged off of other people, what they, what they view, and I can't, I can't affect that. That's for someone else to decide whether they feel like I'm a successful person. Just like when I told you I felt like uh, those three guys were successful, that's me thinking of them. And if you ask them, I bet they'd say the same thing. What has been your favorite memory as a football coach? Well, certainly all the championships are good. I know when when Tom Johnson got an opportunity to, to go to the NFL – you know, he called me and, and told me, and I remember the day, it was December 23rd, right prior to Christmas, and he was, you know, crying, and it was going to be an opportunity for him. You know, he was so emotional that he was going to get an opportunity to, to better himself, which would better his family, and he was going to be the first person in his family to own a house. With that being said, when you know that you can, you know, help affect somebody's life in that way, it means a lot. I really care deeply for my players, even though I get on their butt. I care deeply for them, and, and I want nothing but the, the best for them. I coach them like I would want someone to coach my son. Well, I want to thank you for your time, Chris. Where's the best place for people to get a hold of you? I've got a Facebook thing that I, I look at about once every week, once every two weeks, and I catch up with people down home, but I don't do the Twitter and all that. I got one, but I don't know how to use it. I just don't, I don't see any need to get on there and do all that stuff, you know. Now, some of my coaches have those Instagrams and Facebooks and Twitter accounts and all that, that business. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't do that. Well, thank you, Chris. Enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I appreciate it, man. And good luck with your podcast, okay? And uh, talk, talk to you soon. You're doing a good thing. Thanks. Okay, see ya.